Would you please open your Bible this morning and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 14. The Gospel of Luke chapter 14, we're um, continuing to move through Luke's Gospel and hearing the Lord speak. Uh, chapter 14, if you have your Bible open, uh, if, flows directly out of chapter 13. In chapter 13, if you remember, uh, Jesus was talking about a narrow door, a narrow way, uh, and to strive to enter that narrow door. And here in chapter 14 then, Jesus explains the nature of, of the uh, narrow door. Um, what, it, what does it look like to strive? What do we need to, what do, we need to do? And what are the hindrances, the, the deep hindrances that we face, the obstacles that we face? Well, that's what chapter 14 is about. The first 24 verses really are, uh, Jesus identifies the problem of um, self-interest that bars the door of heaven to folks. And then in the last part of chapter 14, the path then into the kingdom, uh, denying ourselves, uh, putting Christ as Lord and uh, of our life. And so we're going to look at the first 24 verses this morning of Luke chapter 14. Uh, let's give our attention to uh, God's Word this morning. Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. <clears throat> and Jesus re responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. And said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there is still room. 
And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word this morning. God in heaven, we thank you that Jesus speaks still today by his word and his spirit. And so we ask, Lord Jesus, that you give us ears to hear and hearts to respond to you in confession and faith. Uh, Lord, we pray you would do your work in our midst today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to start this morning with a short test that I'd like to ask you to take in your mind and heart. Just going to ask you a few questions and, and ask you to respond uh, as honestly as, as you know how. If you think about just this past week, um, so we'll just keep it in the near parameters so that we, we can remember. I'd like you to, to ask you, uh, were you worried or anxious about anything this past week? Anything that just, um, yeah, made you concerned in a, in a, in a deep way? And, and if so, what was it? If you can identify, what was the thing that made you worried, that made you uh, anxious? Second question, were you angry or uh, exasperated or frustrated this past week? And whether you uh, gave expression to that or not, were you, were you just mad? Were you deeply frustrated? And again, what was the circumstance? What was the thing that um, was the, at the heart of that? The third question is, were you genuinely happy or excited by anything this past week? Uh, something that just thrilled you, and once again, what was the thing that you would point to to say, this is what made me so happy? And then the final question, were any of the things uh, uh, that worried you or frustrated you, made you angry or made you happy, as you, as you identify those things, how many of those things, would you say, are things related to God's, to God, to Christ, to His mission, to His church, His people? And how many of them were related simply to your life, your interests in this world? My guess is that most of us would have to say that most of the things that really move us, most of the things that cause an emotional response in us are things pertaining to our own personal interests and not to the defining interests of God and the kingdom of God. I would, I would suggest that's probably true for most of us. The title of my message this morning is The Concern That Kills because Jesus in this chapter is, is, is really laying his finger on one thing that decimates true religion. Uh, chapter 14 can be easily divided in, into four sections. If you have your Bible open, you'll see that verses 1 through 6, Jesus uh, confronts the Pharisee and he heals a man with dropsy and shows great mercy in that. Uh, 7 through 11, he tells a parable uh, concerning the, uh, the people who are all trying to find the best seats, and Jesus talks about humility. Uh, 12 through 14, he, Jesus gives instructions regarding who to invite to a banquet feast, and so uh, puts his finger on the issue of hospitality. And then 15 through 24, Jesus wraps it up with a, with a parable, a story uh, that applies um, biblical truth. Uh, who gets into the kingdom? 
who, who gets invited and who actually then makes it into uh, the kingdom of God. So there's four separate pieces, but there's a thread that runs through all of it, as we'll see this morning, and that's the thread of sinful self-interest. You have in, in every um, situation Jesus identifying something that keeps people from true faith, true obedience, things that, that honor God. Uh, there's, the Bible is not concerned, of, there's a good self-interest and there's a sinful self-interest. Good self-interest is when you are interested in um, your eternal soul, when you, when, when, you, when you want to live and you hunger and thirst for righteousness to that end. So uh, when uh, in the Old Testament, Jesus will say to Israel, why will you die, O house of Israel? Don't you care about your soul? When the young man comes and says, what, says to him, uh, what must I do to, to gain eternal life? Jesus doesn't rebuke him for the question. It's a great question. There's a, there's a good self-interest. Do you want to live? But there's a sinful self-interest that... <clears throat> See, what Jesus faced in the, in, in the world as he walked through it, it it's, it's the same thing that we see today, is that people aren't really um, seeking those things. The self-interest of people, sinful self-interest, they're not really interested in the, the kingdom of God. They're not really interested in the welfare of their eternal soul. They're interested in hunger, in a position, reputation, in material goods, success, uh, fulfilling relationships, we're looking for human flourishing on uh, this planet now uh, as we experience it. Not that these people here weren't religious, of course. They were very religious. They all believed their Bibles. They, um, they understood what the law was about. They, they would talk about it seriously and, and even believe that they were keeping it. But what Jesus does here in chapter 14, he just peels back the layer of their external religion and reveals that underneath, the motor that drives them is actually a motor of self-interest. And that self-interest blinds them to, to what real mercy is about. It bars them from humility and it blemishes their hospitality and it's going to keep them from the kingdom of God. This is a, it's a, just a fantastic chapter, uh, great stories. Let's give our attention to them. We'll just start verses 1 through 6, self-interest and mercy. Once again, Jesus is invited to the house of a, of a Pharisee, a ruler of the Pharisees. Now, we, we know from our studies already that these meals don't generally end well, that there's always a confrontation. And yet, once again, Jesus gets invited and Jesus is willing to go. And the confrontation quickly becomes evident. There's something very sinister about this scene. We know that the Pharisees are inviting Jesus, not because they want to treat him. They want to trap him. That's what they want to do. So they are watching him carefully. Behind the pleasant smiles, and Jesus, it's so good to have you in our home. Behind all that is stone-cold, murderous hearts. They are looking for Jesus to do something that they can charge him with, something that, that they can lay on him, and just to make sure they've laid a trap for him. Notice how Luke says, I think there's a touch of uh, irony here, but, um, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Comes into the Pharisee's house, and all of a sudden, right there in front of him is this, out of the blue, here's a man with dropsy. Now, this is a serious disease. It, it, it refers to the 
buildup build up of excessive fluid in the, in the cavities and tissues of the body. So this man would be, he would be swollen with bodily fluid, most likely from, uh, from heart failure or kidney failure, left untreated. This is a fatal condition. This is nothing to mess with. The man is in serious need. But the sickest people in the story are the Pharisees. Uh, we know that they're trying to trap him. Luke eleven fifty four says that the Pharisees were lying in wait. They're throwing questions at him, trying to catch him in something he might say. Well, now they've, they've put in front of him this, um, they know Jesus. They know his, his, uh, his pattern. When he sees people in great need, he tends to heal them, even on the Sabbath day. And so they've brought in this man, and um, behold, there he is. And notice what Jesus says. Notice, do you see how the text reads? Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He, he knows exactly what's going on. They haven't said anything. But Jesus knows their hearts. He knows, he knows exactly what they're thinking. He knows what they're planning. He knows exactly what's on the table. And so he addresses it. He puts it right in front of them. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, that, is, that must have been a surprise to them because, you see, they thought they were setting a trap for Jesus, and now they find that the trap is being sprung on them. Remember, there's a crowd there. Some of the town folk would be there. Um, there would be Pharisees and rulers and some of their disciples there. Jesus' disciples would be there. And, and now they're put in this difficult spot because, you see, if they say yes, it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath. Well, they've just destroyed their whole argument with Jesus. This is one of the chief points of contention for them. They hated it that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He was a lawbreaker. It was the, their chief evidence that he was not a true prophet. So they couldn't possibly say yes because it just, it just eviscerates their whole argument against Jesus. So they can't say yes. <clears throat> but it's they can't really say no either because Jesus has asked specifically, is it lawful? What does the Scripture say? Well, you see, the Scriptures don't say anything about healing on the Sabbath. It's just absolutely silent. And so they, they have rules that rabbis have, 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 um, have made to try to protect the law, but Jesus asks, is it lawful? So anybody who knows their Bible knows that, well, it's not rigidly speaking unlawful. But see, the biggest problem is everybody's... Everybody knows what's going on. Here's a man who's deadly sick. And they know his name. He's not just a stranger. They know his name. They'll know his family. They know his, his condition. And everybody in the room knows Jesus has the power to heal him. Everyone knows that. So it would, it would sound incredibly cruel, unbelievably heartless, to say it there in front of everyone and to say in front of that man, yeah, it's unlawful. You can't do that. You can't do that. So is it lawful? They can't say, uh, yes, it's lawful. But they don't want to say it's not lawful because, they, well, they would just look awful. So what do they do? Luke tells us they remain silent. Crickets. Nothing. So Jesus heals the man. And sends him on his way. And then, 
he just in blazing color highlights their hypocrisy. He does the miracle. They're watching it happen. They don't have anything to say, though they're... Can you imagine how frustrated these guys had to be? And then Jesus says, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And the answer is immediately obvious. Every one of them would have found some way to justify pulling their little guy out of a well. I don't care what day it is. I don't care what the rabbis said. I don't, it doesn't matter what the law said, right? They would find some way to justify. If their little guy f- fell into a well on Sabbath, they wouldn't say, honey, we would love to help you out. <clears throat> Give us uh, six hours, right? And we'll be there. And yet, uh, they wouldn't even have done it with, with, their, with an animal. And yet, that's exactly what they're asking Jesus to do. So Jesus just just nails them on their hypocrisy. Every single one of them would have ignored the law when it came to their self-interest, you see. When it came to something that mattered to them, that concerned them, their well-being, their happiness, they would twist the law into any pretzel shape it was re- that was required in order to make the law satisfy their self-interest. So Jesus asked the question. Everybody knows the answer, which explains their response. Luke says they could not reply to these things. Of course they couldn't reply. I mean, Jesus has them absolutely tied up in knots. Everyone in the room knows what they would do. Everyone sees the incredible hypocrisy that that what they would allow themselves, they will not allow Jesus, that they would have more concern for their ox than they have for this man with dropsy because the ox belongs to them and they could care less about this guy. You see, the, their God in the end was, was not the living God. Their, their rule wasn't actually the law of God. Their God was self-interest. Their rule was what, what matters to them. They'll apply the law when it serves their purposes, and they'll ignore the law when it serves their purposes. Their purposes are the reigning reality in their life. Well, the, it had to be an awkward party. Um, as as these leaders, these rulers are shamed publicly, and, and there certainly were people in the crowd who were secretly delighting in it. I mean, these were pompous men. You maybe had to respect their seriousness and uh, their concern for the things of God, but man, were they pompous. And Jesus just comes here and pops their balloon. They, these guys have nothing to say, egg all over their faces, and now it's, uh, now it's time to eat. And suddenly, the innocent bystanders find the attention of Jesus directed towards them. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. And so as people began to gather around the table and take their seats, Jesus noticed what happens every single time you have a dinner like this. He watched people very carefully but very intentionally identify the best seats and then try to to make it over there. So the best seat, the places of honor, would be somewhere in the middle so you could really hear the whole conversation, Uh, somewhere close to the honored guest or close to the important host. The best seat is where the action is. It's where the, the, the best jokes are being told. It's where the best stories are heard. It's where the attention's going to be. Those are the best seats. Now, you, you know what this is like because you've, you've been there, you've, you've done that, right? You've been, you go to a restaurant with a group of people and you're scanning the layout and 
and trying to figure out what the best seat. The trick, of course, you see, is to, is to identify the best seat and then claim the best seat, all the while appearing nonchalant and unconcerned so that it looks accidental. It's just like, well, shazam, here I am next to the, 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 the guest of honor. How do you do? Nice to meet you. See, that's the trick, isn't it? Uh, you, you don't want to see, seem too obvious, and yet you desperately want to be there. And if you're, you just don't have the courage to sort of elbow your way up to the best seats, you'll get as close as you can, or you'll end up way on the outside, and then you pout for the whole meal. We've done that. I've done that. I remember a, a Westminster banquet once. Um, I remember it very vividly. This was years ago, but um, there were 27 tables in the room, and I, I, I challenge you to... How do I know there were 27 tables in the room? Well, they had little numbers on every table, and I stared at that number the entire evening. 27, I was barely in the room. And uh, I was, you know, one of the, I was an, I'm an alumni for Pete's sake. So when they ask the alumni, you know, they'll have the alumni stand. And when they read your name, uh, you know, Dale Van Dyke, and people are looking around, where's Van Dyke? Oh, oh, look at their names. <laughs> Way back in the corner. I, that was a miserable meal. I could see where the action was. It wasn't, ha- it wasn't by my table. I sat there with the, you know, me and my wife and one other couple and sort of watched from afar the things happen. Now, so what, what is it in us that we want to be at the best seats? See, it's, it's just self-interest. We want the best seat. We want the best view. We want the best deal. We want the fastest lane. We know what we like, we know what we want, and we have some sense that even though we couldn't maybe tell you exactly why we're entitled to it, we actually feel like we're entitled to it, or at least it's, it's not very fun when we watch other people get it. They're no better than we are. So listen to a sermon by Eric Alexander on this. He just um, nailed it. He says, deep down, we're still controlled by self-interest. The sword of God's spirit has not penetrated beyond the level of the superficial to touch the deep citadel where self holds sway. The deep citadel where self holds sway. So that's what's going on when Jesus watches these guys vie for the best seats. He sees the same thing he saw in the Pharisees, the same deadly pride, the same deep self-interest. And so he addressed it. When, when you're invited to, the, to a wedding feast, don't, don't sit down in the place of honor unless some, the guy comes along and says, listen, I, I, would you please move to table 27? <laughs> uh, because I invited this guy and, he, and he, he belongs here at table number two. Well, think of the people sitting in the places of honor as Jesus is saying this, right? Uh, they've just been exposed. Their pride is uh, clear to see. You see, what they're discovering is that Jesus is not a respecter of persons when it comes to uh, conviction and correction. It'd be easy for, for them to be still um, sort of rejoicing in the way that Jesus had nailed those Pharisees, and now Jesus comes and, and he nails them. Self-interest and self-exaltation are sins that we are all prone to, and God's word comes to all of us, and the, and the truth applies to us that, that self-interest and self-exalting is a surefire recipe for shame and humiliation before God. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Everyone. In the Greek, that word means everyone. 
Everyone will be, you, hum, you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. Maybe in this life, maybe in the next life. It is a certain recipe for disaster, for shame. And on the flip side, those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the question is, you see, what would you like your future to look like? You get to decide. What would you like the future to look like? You want to look like shame? Then just keep doing what your native self tells you to do. Just keep putting yourself first. Just keep seeking the best seat. Seek the best friends. Seek the best circumstances. Do what, what serves self-interest. Just keep doing that. And shame will be yours. But if you want to live, if you want to be honored, if you want to be exalted, it's going to take humility. It's going to take humbling. Well, it's gotten really uncomfortable in the room at this point, and I'm sure that there were some who were hoping that Jesus would stop talking. Everybody's been exposed, but Jesus isn't done. Notice now he moves to the host himself, verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him. So he's addressed the, the Pharisees. He's addressed the, 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 the common folks vying for the best seats. And now he turns to the host. And uh, it says to him, when you give a banquet, uh, don't invite your friends or brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they invite you in return. You be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, hospitality is a big deal in Old Testament piety. It's a big deal in Christian piety. God cares about hospitality, about opening your home to strangers, opening your home to people in, in need. Open your home to brothers and sisters just to bless them. It's a practical expression of, of Christian love and kindness. It matters. But notice, you see, Jesus is saying, Whose interests are you serving when you open your home? Are you, are you just networking? Big, a lot of talk today about networking, how important it is to network, and, and uh, you could use your home to that, to that end, couldn't you? You could carefully look through the list of possible people to invite, and you can identify which would be the most uh, helpful to uh, some endeavor or career that you, that you have in mind. Uh, Jesus, you see, is he's not saying don't invite your friends, don't invite your family over to a meal. He's saying don't mingle hospitality with self-service. Because that just, that just blemishes the whole thing. Hospitality, you see, is supposed to be an expression of our love, genuine love for others and our concern for the glory of God, that we do it for the Lord's sake and, and as an expression of his kindness to us. It's the law in, in practice as we just bless people. So open your home and, and bless people. And particularly, Jesus says, bless the people who can't bless you back. The poor and the blind and the crippled and the lame and the socially awkward and the people maybe on the margins of, of, the, of the church society or community. That's, that's what Jesus says. Because if you do that, you see... Then you get repaid later. If you're just doing it for self-interest, you get repaid now. You see, the problem with almost every bit of the Pharisees and the, the common Jews' religion of the day was so much of it, you see, was, was 
you get paid now. So Jesus will say, don't pray like the Pharisees because they lift their voices in the streets because they want the applause of men. And don't, don't fast like the Pharisees. They paint their face. It's all, they, they do it in public to, to show how they're, they're really suffering for the cause here. And people will say, my, what a man. And don't give your alms like the Pharisees because they got trumpets behind them. You know, we're about to give here now. If you, people gather around... You say, they're not doing anything for God. They're just buying themselves a reputation. It's just all about, it's all about them. Have you ever done that? You ever wonder what the people around you must think as you raise your lovely voice in song and, and you're just nailing the alto part? Or the tenor part. We can get personal. Ever hope that people notice your, your um, form of service, you're leading some program or doing some form of service and you're hoping somebody, somebody notices? Ever wonder what people thought about the, the fine prayer you just offered or the dutiful way that you take notes during a sermon? Some of you are putting your pen down. <laughs> you don't need to. But you see, doesn't the, 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 the spirit affect us too? We're thinking about what people are thinking about us. The sword of God's spirit has not yet penetrated to touch the deep citadel where self holds sway. That's what Jesus is doing. He's just, he's just going right down into the guts of who we are, where we live. Well, you've got to love verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. You know this guy. Cannot stand conflict. Uh, the party has gone seriously off track. Uh, Jesus just shamed the Pharisees. He's humiliated the guys sitting at the front of the table. He's admonished the hostess. There's enough tension in the room to cut with a knife. And so this guy decides to bring up a topic that everybody can agree on, uh, agree on right? Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Surely everybody can say amen to that. In the end, right, we're, just, we're all on the same side. We're all on the same team. We all can believe in and hope for the same things. Here's a toast to eating bread in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus... I want to get on board? Can we just get along? No. <clears throat> He's not playing their game. He's not there to be polite. He's there as the Son of Man come to rescue sinners from the judgment they so richly deserve. And if that's going to happen, they need to see themselves. And so Jesus took the toast and told a story to the man who, who made the nice little speech. A man gave a great banquet and invited many. You see, Jesus takes the, the, this little toast, blessed is everyone who will eat, and he asks the questions, yeah, but who's that going to be? Who gets to eat bread in the kingdom of heaven? Well, a master had a great banquet and he invited a bunch of people, and, and when it was ready, he sent out the servants, they come on, the, the table set. And the strangest thing happened, people uh, didn't want to come, they they were doing other things. So one guy says, well, I just bought a field and I really need to go check it out. And another guy says, I bought some oxen. I got to go pick them up. Another guy said, I, I just got married. And um, he just assumes that covers it. So please excuse me. I can't come. So the master, in great anger, said to his servant, all right, then go out into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the lame, the blind and lame. And then go out into the highways and hedges where the disreputable and scandalous people live and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. We can't really do justice to this story in the time we have left, but we can pick out these things. Uh, why didn't the people come? 
self-interest. You see, they, they were just interested in other things. They had, they had important things. Their, their excuses made sense to them. It's not that they didn't like the master. It's just that they were busy at the moment with oppressing something else. You see, what they don't realize is that God is the master of the banquet and that God has sent his servant, Jesus Christ, into the world and says, it's ready now. What the prophets have been talking about, it's been prepared. The feast is set. Come now. God is reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ. Come now in faith and taste the goodness of God. And people looked at their watches and said, it's, it's not a good time. Jesus, you see, didn't come to meet their self-interest. There were people there who would gladly accept Jesus if he was there to get rid of the Romans. There were people glad to accept Jesus if he would just continue this buffet line of free food. There were people who were glad to receive Jesus if he would be interested in their self-interest, if he would pursue their self-interest. But you see, he was, he was pursuing something else, their salvation, their eternal good. And they couldn't even see it. You see, that's what self-interest does. It blinds you to the glory of God's gospel invitation. You just, you don't see it. It doesn't seem magnificent to you. Self-interest will keep you with one eye on religious things, but your heart and your mind are on other things. What you're doing this week and your hobbies and your passions and um, the things that pertain to this life. And, and you see that double-mindedness is exactly what will keep you from a passion for Christ. It will keep you from a, a delight in the gospel. It will keep you from a zeal to pursue God's call on your life. And you won't quite understand why the master would be angry with you for not being excited about his invitations and his banquets. Why would the master be angry? You'd, you'd you're just living your life. You just bought a field. Surely he could understand. There are reasons for you not to be excited about his banquets and his invitations. So how do we apply this? Let me wrap up with a couple quick, quick principles. First, um, we have to consider our motives. We've got to consider our motives why do you do what you do? Why do you say what you say? Why do you feel what you feel? We just give our feelings a free pass. I'm, it's just how I feel. Yeah? Why? Is it because you're, you've got such a passion for the things of God and the interests of God's kingdom and, and God's glory? Is, is that what's driving it? Or you're just in this self-centered funk. Why do you do what you do? Day to day to day to day, moment to moment. What's driving it? Consider your motives. Secondly, consider God's invitations. Do, do we have a sense of what God is doing when he invites us to come and worship him, when he invites us to spend time with him in, in the word and in prayer? Do you realize that God is pursuing your eternal good in doing these things? That God lays before us Sunday after Sunday a banquet feast and, and God has given you in his word a banquet feast? He says, come and dine with me. Do, do we have a sense of that? We, we are not here to do a favor for God. 
He has graciously invited us to come and taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed are those who take refuge in Him. So we ought to think carefully then about our reasons for saying no to that. Think about the reasons you avoid worship services. When God invites you to come and when the table of the Lord also, once a month we have the Lord's table. What do you you think? What do you think God thinks about your reasons for not coming? What are we talking about? See, we we just make our decisions, but the question is why? Why? Is it because of a passion for the things of God? Is it because of hunger for the kingdom of God and, and a delight in the people of God and a love for the word of God? And, and we want nothing more than to be made in his likeness, be made in his image. Is that why you stay home? Is that why you avoid your Bible? You see, friends, when I, when I fail to do devotions, and I fail, I fail way too often. When I come back to it, you know my first confession is? Forgive me for treating this as though it's a a duty I have to do or if it's just some ancillary thing out there in the margins of my life that I'll make time for if I can. Jesus, forgive me. You've You've been inviting me to spend time with you. Forgive me for thinking that that's a really small thing. Why do we do what we do? You see, God's disciples, we'll look at this next time, Lord willing, God's disciples put Jesus first. Jesus says in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If anyone would come after me, let him deny what? Himself. And take up his cross and follow me. You see, it's not... To be a Christian means that you've, you've written off on you. It's not about you anymore. You've signed that away. Now it's about Jesus. Now it's about Jesus' kingdom. It's about his gospel, his purposes in the world, and how you're going to, you're going to become a part of that. His interests become paramount. What does he want? What does he desire? That's the issue. That's the issue. And then this final thing. God will be glorified. There's a great truth here. His banquet table will be filled. Christ will receive the fruits of his labor. Human self-interest is not going to thwart his glory. It's only going to magnify it. Because you see, those who are blinded by self-interest, they'll never taste the grace that could have been theirs. But many others who never imagined that they could be invited, they will come. The gospel goes to the people who fail to put God's things first. It goes to people who, have, who are infected deeply and wickedly with self-interest. But if you come and confess that sin, you say, Lord, I'm the blind, I'm the lame, I'm the weak, I'm the disfigured, I'm the disreputable. There's an invitation in the gospel for you. This is not a moralistic message. Jesus is teaching that just shape up. It's just acknowledge the truth of who you are. And that the hard things Jesus says, he doesn't just say to the Pharisees, he says to the normal people who live their normal religious lives for all the wrong reasons. See, many will come, Jesus says. The needy, the unworthy, the misfits, the disreputable, they'll come. And they're going to be able to taste the goodness of God. They're going to be able to taste the truth of grace because they know they don't deserve to be there. They're going to be at that banquet feast looking around in astonishment. How did I get in here? 
And the reason you see that God invites you and God invites me to come is because we don't deserve to be here. And then he gets all the glory for this beautiful banquet feast. And you get the joy. You get the peace. You get the life. Friends, don't you want to be then in that number of the needy, the misfits who come to Jesus, confess their sin, and find this banquet of grace. May God grant that be your story. Amen. Well, Lord Jesus, you know us and you speak authoritatively, convictingly into the reality of our life. But I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you do so with a saving purpose in mind. Forgive us, Lord, for our deep-rooted self-interest and all the ways that that manifests itself. All the reasons we give for not obeying, all the reasons we give for not humbling ourselves, for not serving others with joy and gladness, for not being thankful, the reasons we give for the sins that we allow ourselves to commit, all the things we do and all the things we fail to do. And you see right through it. And there's no excuse. And we confess it. Lord, I pray that this, the sword of the Spirit of God would penetrate to that deep citadel where self holds sway. And that we would repent at that deepest level for the flippant and casual, easy way we've served ourselves. Oh God, give us a heart that really, truly learns to follow Jesus, to be made in his image and likeness, who did not grasp for his rights, but gave up his glory to come and save sinners like us. Lord, thank you, Jesus, that your desire is for our ultimate and eternal good. I pray that you'd give us the grace and the faith to respond. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen.